Namaste. I'm Peter Furco, and this is Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. Asatoma Satgamaya Asatoma Satgamaya Tamasoma Jotir Gamaya Tamasoma Jotir Gamaya Mrityor Mamritam Gamaya Mrityor Mamritram Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Om Shanti 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 Hey, Lindsay. Hi, Peter. I'm here with Lindsay Sanwald, a.k.a. Iggy Dean, yogi, musician, student of life. Indeed. Yes. Very excited to have you here. Very happy to be invited. Yeah. So we have no idea what we're going to talk about, which <laughs> seems to be a, a, a method that's working. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about Iggy Dean? Yeah, sure. Uh, Iggy Dean is, um, well, in yogic terms, it would be my, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Ishta Devata. Okay. Which, so it's sort of like my, um, my personal deity alter ego person. Um, in more colloquial pop sense, it's my stage moniker performance name. Right. Uh, and it's a one-woman band. It's a, uh, I play multiple instruments in the rock realm, so primarily drums, guitar, bass. And I sing and do a little bit with synthesizers, and to do it live, I loop everything. Mm-hmm. So in the studio, you know, you can be a little bit more freewheeling, but on stage it's uh, sort of this... Um, part of the performance aspect of it is this kind of uh, uh, ambitious one being entity performing all of the tasks of a full rock band. So yeah. that's what Iggy Dean is. <laughs> so like from from yoga, you're like the coming into the world of everything and fragmenting into all the different tasks. Yes. Yeah. Multiple arms, sort yeah. of. Proverbial, uh, proverbially, and dance of Shiva. Yes, yeah. exactly. Cool. And then we've also been doing a Iggy Dean meets Kirtan thing. Yes, that's been trademark fun psych for rock, me. psych rock Kirtan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been really nice. And we um, we started today with a, a mantra Asatoma Satkamaya, mm-hmm. which is. Um, in the Upanishads, uh, really ancient texts, uh, described as one of the first expressions of voice, and that through using the voice as an actor, and it's just kind of like what we were saying you do in your show, it's bringing the universe into being. It's voice is a power. Mm. And so you're creating this movement that's setting up really the essence of what life ends up being about that we come in and we have challenges it seems like things can be 
great, but then they're not. Mm -hmm. And so this Asatoma says, okay, then please lead me from a darkness to a light. Please lead me from not understanding things to understanding things. Please lead me from this world that seems like it's full of death and mm -hmm. destruction into a place where it's about the immortality of it all. Right. So uh, you and I have been using that mantra to start up our whatever we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a powerful yeah. one. Yeah. 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 And it reminds me too, just some, it jogged in my memory prior to another aspect of my life was uh, I was a student of literature and comparative literature and a big thing that I studied for many years was sort of this biblical sense of this philosophy that in the beginning was the word mm -hmm. and that uh, you say there's light and there's light you you utter the universe into its existence and that it's it, it you know I'm just making the connection now that that's sort of this timeless narrative in in these studies and that um, it's just I'm continuing that study and examining and learning mantra now that it's basically yeah. the same thing yeah speak it and it is so right yeah yeah that we have this tremendous power through our intention Paramahansa Yogananda used to say that we have this willpower that is so uh, incredibly effective mm -hmm. if we just point at something and do that mm -hmm. you know and the word is our underlying way of framing something right it goes to this elemental nature of uh, things that yoga talks about where we have the element of space or ether we have other elements that seem more less abstract maybe there's the earth element that's about structure there's mm -hmm. the water element that's about flowing and moving toward things we like and away from things we don't like we have a fire element that's about transforming things and we have this air element that's about movement but then there's this element space the mm -hmm. fifth element mm -hmm. not the one in the movie but <laughs> um and sound is, lives in that element, mm -hmm. you know, sound, mantra, language. And it's about how do we carve up infinity mm -hmm. into things that we can play with in this plane. Right. And, if, and in that realm specific to music, the thing I've, I've always enjoyed most about music, and that's been sort of noted about it, it's, it's one of, there's something very unique about this art form in the sense that it's, it's kind of the only one where the person who's creating and generating the music, um, especially if it's live, obviously, you are experiencing it in that exact present moment that notes are being struck at the same time that whomever is in the same space is also experiencing it. Right. And that it, it does sort of... Um, it does have this really nice uh, container of time that uh, I know Alan Watts likes to tell the story of how, you know, like life, like music, is sort of this like repetitive repetition of notes with a beginning and an end and a middle, and there's sort of this movement through it, and that that's the point because if we were really trying to get to this. He calls it like the gong smash or the orchestral thing. Like your favorite songs would just be like crescendo. Like they wouldn't. It wouldn't even be the crescendo. It would just be that like. Gah! Yeah. But that's not the point of it. The point is, an intro, 
and I always like about music and what has always made it so meditative for me is like there's usually a really steady beat there's usually a verse that you come back to there's a chorus that you come back to and it's these sort of like um, very curated organized repetitive moments and depending on the genre or the the song they're they're typically in a certain time frame sort of like meditation 18 minutes is the golden number and for a pop song i guess it's three and a half minutes Mm -hmm. or that changes depending on the genre but there's sort of this nice little container where all of this stuff can evolve and there's you know that course through it yeah that's great and as you're doing it you're like literally in it (laughs) you hit the drum and that Mm. drum strike is like happening yeah in real time and it isn't I mean, it has been a very short amount of history in which it wasn't always that way. It wasn't mm. always live. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always that immediate thing. Now we have recordings. Mm-hmm. So there's a different kind of relationship. Yeah. And yet, you know, the music cuts through. Right. Yeah. And that notion of the movement of things through beginning, a middle, and ending is also the explanation of the primal mantra of om right where it's about this notion of a beginning a sustaining mm-hmm. and an ending that brings you back into the next right. cycle of things and that sort of like fourth unspoken part too which is the silence yeah. the rest the the non-sound yeah which is just as important as all yeah. the, the noise and i like to think of that as being a transcendent thing like mm-hmm. you've got this cycle of things that's always going beginning middle destruction of something that leads to the beginning of something new mm-hmm. but through it all is this silent like on another dimension yeah there's the silence I I was able, I was in Montreal this past year for the Red Bull Music Academy and got to work with and collaborate and perform with these great musicians from all over the world. And there was this one musician from Vienna, um, Mira Lukovics, who her her stage name is uh, Schmied's Pole. What is it? Schmied's Pole. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And I, I'm, I'm forgetting what it translates to now, but it has some awesome meaning. But anyway, when she, she, we performed a showcase together, and I'll never forget, and she was so diligent about this, she would play. The, it was a huge room. There was tons of people in there. So it, she took the time to make sure, first of all, that everybody went quiet for, the, for this sort of like acoustic vocal number. And then when she finished the song, she just... Held the silence for like what felt like such a agonizingly uncomfortable time. After she said, after her she last said, note. yes, wow, like it felt like thirty seconds to one minute. Which, following this song and having done this intense effort to get everybody quiet in the first place and get their attention, I remember just being like, "Oh my god!" Like that silence was the most powerful part. Of the song, wow. so just that that just reminded me of that and how that is the most poignant probably phase of all of that because yeah. like as you said that's the sort of the transcendent part of it all right and it it also gets to the way that kirtan works too mm-hmm. that you, we use these mantras in kirtan and repeat a mantra uh, so you're you're vibrating someone mm-hmm. you know the person that's doing the kirtan they're vibrating in this way 
And then once you've set that vibration, then you want to bask in that. Mm. So then you've, you create this sometimes ecstatic right. recitation of the thing and then leave it in silence. Right. But it's not really silence because you're vibrating right. with that. And it gives you the space to sort of recognize it. Because like once you get in sort of like the vibe of doing the kirtan, you're kind of in this like hypnotic, trance-like just yeah. zone. And it's not until you sort of stop it, you're like, whoa. It's like the, it's like jumping off the diving board and the diving board's like <laughs> right. still shaking. And you're like, whoa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. How yeah. did you get into kirtan in mantra? Um, kind of like you, I think, from what you, you know, the way you described it when we started doing it. It was, I played music forever and I always got this extra vibration from music you know I, it, it would move me so much and I just wanted to do more of that so mm-hmm. I uh, I started practicing yoga independent of life I mean I was just doing my regular life and yeah. then I had my <laughs> yoga practice that I found because I've always been sort of in this spiritual bent anyway. And Mm -hmm. so it was a way of relating to things that were important to me. And then I knew that kirtan was a part of yoga, but I was never that into Indian classical music Mm -hmm. per se. So then I decided to try to use the mantras that I had been working with and music that I was just naturally drawn to. So mm-hmm. I started putting those two things together. Yeah. And then interestingly, I, uh, one of, after one of the first few kirtans I did, uh, I had hired a percussionist to play with me. And he went off, and he had been doing kirtan-type mm-hmm. stuff. And he was a frame drummer, and he played some other instruments. And he had this notion of like letting go of the mantra altogether mm. and just letting it be about the sound mm-hmm. so it became like you know abstract painting it was yeah. like just music yeah and um he was looking for a name for this project and i said why don't you name it shabda which is this mm-hmm. fundamental vibration of life from the way yogis talk about science mm-hmm. right so um he did that project for a while but it, you know it's like all of the vibration mm-hmm. is changing us yeah sanskrit is an interesting form it, it's kind of like art it it, mm-hmm. it has a meaning the words have a meaning a a intellectual meaning but they are also constructed so that they vibrate a certain way right. in your head mm-hmm. based on where you produce them. So some sounds are much more out at the lips and some sounds are more at the palate and some sounds are more open. Mm. And each of those sounds rings your head. Your head is like a instrument too, which mm-hmm. you can always tell if you're wearing headphones. It yeah. sounds very different, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think of Sanskrit as like a probiotic drink, where it's there's like or, there's organisms in it in the yeah. wor, in the words, and there's like bacteria and yeah. li- there's life. There's uh, you're not just sort of 
spewing matter you're like spewing seeds and 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 organic bio sounds yeah and what, what you're describing is your former colleagues you know resonates with me and how I kind of fell into the way I, I write music where um, when I'm first starting a song it, it usually begins with the drum beat because it's sort of the most primal steady we all have a heartbeat it's the very most immediate accessible thing and I'll just uh, abstractly paint so to speak these just non-word melodies with the voice and then after the fact we'll go in and be like okay what kind of words can I make this noise sound like and sometimes it's not possible and so sometimes I keep the more abstract non-word thing and so I always get a little um not so much anymore but I I remember I used I would get a little testy when people would be like I don't understand uh what your lyrics are and I'd be like who you're not necessarily supposed to like I don't even know what I'm (laughs) saying like it's more about this sort of like abstract emotional thing that comes out and right. people don't seem to take that argument up when they're listening to opera and it's like well you don't speak <laughs> Italian either right. and you're being moved right. by the way this is sung um, and so that I think that's why when we started collaborating on, a, on our version of a kirtan it, it kind of was nice because uh, when we would take my songs to adapt to they were kind of already non-word right. palettes for you know adding a different sort of shape of a vibration or an articulation yeah 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 i want to go back to that thing about the probiotic notion um um, we we just came out of meditation class and i was talking about googling stuff and i think that it's useful to um to remember or to practice um, a understanding like the scientist does of the probiotics, mm. like you know which one is good for when and what mm-hmm. do you use them for, that you gain you gain a knowledge of this mantra thing by taking that silence part of it Mm -hmm. right that you do the mantra and you sit in the silence Mm -hmm. and then you feel what that is so there's two components to doing mantra because i know a lot of times you know we'll go to a bookstore or something and there'll be this thing of mantras in the bookstore and we're reading about oh this mantra is good for like Mm -hmm. finding a partner or something Mm -hmm. and and in our culture of magazines and whatnot sometimes there's that and I remember writing a um, an article for someone's blog or something about mantra and the editor said oh can you please give some mantras that you know mm-hmm. we can include in this article and I said I really don't feel comfortable doing that right. because that's not how you get mantras mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. get them by reading them yeah. in some blog on the internet right that there's this gestation period almost this this you and the mantra becoming interrelated mm-hmm. that makes them so powerful right right you you repeating them over and over again which is where kirtan is cool you don't right. have to do musical versions of mantras for them to work you right. can just recite them 
and in the reciting it's its own music it's ringing your head in right. that way that Sanskrit's designed and then when you sit with it afterwards then it becomes like your words right right you like I always thought that it's so cool art artists are such good examples of this notion of ishta this individual mm-hmm. quality that we all come in with you know we we come in to life and each of us is unique but we don't always see that mm-hmm. and the world is always saying you know you can be just like so and so if you just take this course <laughs> right. or whatever you know but the we are really unique yeah. and when when you watch artists they do this thing they like have a pattern of the way they express mm-hmm. and you see that and it's so beautiful and so when we work with mantra then that becomes a part of how we express right you know we we have the ability to say and have it be so right you know and it's also and I, I know you talk about this in your book a little bit yoga for artists that the the challenge of being an artist is you can't just you can't wake up and be like okay I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a piece of art now like it's just that's not how it works and that's yeah. not how it's supposed to work but what you can do is is foster sort of all of the other circumstances around that to make for the best case scenario where you might you know gain some inspiration and might be able to so like meditation is excellent like you can you can make the conscious effort to sit for x amount of minutes every day or uh just have the the arrangement made to hopefully benefit that but you can't just sort of show up and be like okay i'm going to paint this painting now yeah but you can set up the easel and buy the paints but even that that's not going to do it right and so it's it's i think why (laughs) art can also be so anxiety inducing because yeah. it's this task of generating something out of nothing and um, it, that's really daunting and it's also really mysterious the way it, it yeah. unfolds but mantra or meditation are these sort of like nice uh, method I mean like <clears throat> with anything with yoga these t- this toolbox right. of things and even when we study you know yoga especially here at ishta where throughout the training it's constantly sort of expressed to us like you're not gonna nothing in this manual nothing taught here is is what it is like the the main thing to be gained here is develop your own practice and that's where you're gonna find stuff out yeah um and for an artist that it really does give you tools to not have to um, be responsible for making the work exclusively. (laughs) Like, if you had to make something out of nothing, that's a big responsibility. If you can set yourself up, you know, do whatever training you need to do, know whatever you need to know, and then open a channel Mm -hmm. for creativity to flow, that's such a more shared thing. Um, um, this woman um, Gilbert who wrote Eat, Pray, Love Mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Gilbert Mm -hmm. um, she brought up uh, in a talk and maybe in her podcast that she did um, in her book Magic Lessons Mm -hmm. that um, the Romans had this word genius and it was 
the thing that would come visit you, like a spirit that would come visit the artist. And, you know, it's like the muse is, Mm -hmm. is another word for that, right? That you're this expressor but the thing that's getting expressed is coming through you. Right. And it's such a beautiful image. Yeah. You know. That resonates a lot, too, because that, um, my sort of like you, I've always had a spiritual bent, but it's gone through many evolutions. Uh, as a young child, my, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a religious household. And as a child, I was actually, like, mad about that. I was that kid who was like, can we please go to church or something? Can we do something? Because like all my friends are going to church and I kind of feel left out. Right. I was at home saying, do we have to go to Saturday school? (laughs) All my friends are playing. (laughs) And I was the opposite. I was just like, I was that weirdo seven-year-old who was just like, I want something. Yeah. Um, And then that graduated. I mean, and my parents were great. They instilled in me like the core golden rule stuff and, and were not faithless, godless people. They just, they were kind of just individualized and I was grateful for that because it allowed me to sort of find my own situation. But I remember being then in like middle school and high school and going through the the atheist phase of being like, ah, there's no God and this is all, and being super cynical about everything. Right. And the thing that kind of like looped me back around to sort of being... Huh, I think I'm sort of detecting something here more than just this kind of arrogant, dogmatic assessment that there's no meaning, there's nothing, there's no God. Had to do with my music, where I finally got to this point, and it was the the it was the kind of the moment too where I was said, because um, in high school and college I wasn't on a track to become a musician. I, that was just sort of I, I was doing music like uh, it was there was no way I couldn't do music. It was just something I was doing, but there was no agenda to it. I was just, it's just what I did, like breathing. But I was on the path to become a teacher uh, of literature and English. And and then I had this moment where I said, I kind of had this, uh, this vision. I was just like, I've never studied music and I don't, I don't know what's happening to me. That's been happening my whole life where there's, I don't, I don't understand how I'm making songs, but I'm making songs. And I don't understand how I know how to play these instruments, and yet I'm playing these instruments. And that's really weird and mysterious and special. And I think um, as far as this really weird and mysterious life goes, I think this is what I should be focusing on because this is really inexplicable, but not uh, to be sort of like thrown by the wayside so that was that when I had that realization of like I don't know what's coming through me but there's something being channeled and I feel like it would be almost unethical yeah (laughs) if I ignored that or didn't foster it in some way so that's sort of where that shift in my um attention came about understanding that there's something other being channeled through these musical expressions right that's not there's no reason for it to exist it's not like i need to make i mean i I would say i do need to make music to live but it's not like uh oh it can't be explained biologically or scientifically like oh this is something that we were just evolved to do as organisms to be animals on this planet like nah i don't know about that like this is 
and yet if I look at like the biology and the math of like nature and the universe I, I can say like oh this is sort of by design we are by design all yeah. artists yeah. we are all creations and creators so like this feels very uh, creating feels very natural right um, and biological I guess in that aspect of it yeah and I, I think that you, you just touched on something that is very helpful you know I think everyone goes through this atheist phase whether mm-hmm. they actually think of it as being an atheist or not it's this anger at the world you know that the world isn't fair the world is weird I can't get happiness I can't find things and the um, it's about you know looking elsewhere for the happiness mm-hmm. that you're looking outside of yourself for satisfaction and um, it's a way in and so you can get that shift through lots of things you know you might just spontaneously go aha you mm-hmm. know like supposedly the Buddha did under a tree you know or you could learn a practice or be introduced to a practice like yoga or maybe your art is that right like maybe that process of laying down the layers of a song Mm. puts you in this mental state where you open up to another part of Mm -hmm. yourself you know making yourself whole through that Mm -hmm. you know so I think that art and yoga are very similar in that way, which I say in my book, Yoga for mm-hmm. Artists, that you mentioned. Um, and one of the people I quote in that, this uh, visual artist named, named Moore, um, is that the purpose of art isn't to make something, but to be in that state mm-hmm. where making something is inevitable. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like... This on solid ground, mm-hmm. and I, I've always liked the notion of thinking about that life, that life that's challenging, that life that is the thing that drives us to atheism, mm-hmm. as something that's pretty easy to get when you look at it from the point of view of an artist. Like if you were going to make a piece of art, you wouldn't make something that's the crescendo. Right. You know, you wouldn't make something that has no challenge, no drama, no right. comedy, no anything. It's that that makes it interesting. Right. And in our yogi perspective, you know, like being the consciousness of things and also simultaneously participating in them, mm-hmm. we have the chance, you know, back to Yogananda, you could use your willpower to rise above the circumstances and be an observer and then the world is quite amazing Mm -hmm. it's full of wonder and spectacular surprise and you know we're always learning things it seems to be inexhaustible right and i also i mean with music again similar to that um from a pretty young age i sort of recognized it as the, the alchemy of it where you know, dark things were happening. And then I learned, like, from a really, really young age, well, if I, like, write a song about it, it's like I can change this dark metal into a piece of gold. Yeah. And um, 
and that you know I've been doing that with forever now yeah. where it's you can really shift something yeah. um, and then and then learn to have actually a lot of gratitude for the darker more challenging stuff because it's precisely those experiences that kind of uh, give you either the fire or the the motivation to uh, render something yeah um, which is awesome yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's this sort of folk wisdom that, you know, you don't learn anything when you're just around happy. Right. It's that, you know, pain that drives you to make change. Yeah. Although similarly, something I've been exploring the last couple of years is, which also um, relates to this yogic idea of getting to the state of nothing and, and this effortlessness piece is actually where it can be really, really ripe that it does because you know I, I think a more immature scenario which I was sort of just describing is like oh yeah you have to there has to be all this struggle and this heartache and this death and blah blah, blah. and it's like yeah, fine but understanding like all of that's sort of inevitable and that it's it's not um, that's not necessarily what you want to be cultivating and I think that's why it's not uncommon for artists to have uh, you know, substance abuse issues or like seeking out these places of oblivion and sort of like altered states because that has been a place where perhaps things are sourced from. And in recent years, I'm much more interested in sort of the counter to that of getting to a place of effortless calm and nothingness and seeing what comes of that. And I have, um, you know, I sort of discovered that in surfing, like how mm-hmm. you go out and there's really nothing to do. And uh, and be and just and vac- you know traveling and the, my favorite thing about traveling is especially like on an airplane or a train where there's like it's such a nice ripe moment of there's nothing to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love this photograph that I saw like on a uh, an airplane magazine, and it's the guy um, Lynn I think it's Lynn Miranda who wrote uh-huh. Hamilton. Uh-huh. And I love this photograph so much. It's him in a hammock on vacation in some Caribbean island after he did, like, In the Heights. Yeah. And he's on vacation actively doing nothing save resting in this hammock, and he just happens to be reading this biography about Hamilton. <laughs> and, I, and that picture to me speaks so much. It's right. just like it wasn't like he was at the drawing board right. being like what's my next big play going to be How, and, and like grunt working it out it was on vacation relaxed taking that pause taking that break and having like a dumb beach read that then now we all know what that is now right and so like that's um that's really i love that yes dynamic yes effortlessness yeah you do you you just are doing, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I was talking with Jenny Bloom a little bit about how so there's so little value mm-hmm. to taking breaks right. in our culture. Yeah, and it's it's the thing that one needs to do to mm-hmm. stay in balance. Yeah. So yeah. And those sort of, uh, and I know it's. It's, I know it's written about in like the artist's way and elsewhere, but and even I think we discussed it in, in talking about the brain and yoga, where the activities that are actually very conducive to making art 
are not what you would think they are. If they're things like driving, taking a shower, doing the dishes, cleaning, they're those things where you're not, you're, you're, you're busy and you have this sort of like low grade focus, but you're not like, your, your brain's not racing or you're not muscling through something, but you're kind of in this automatic meditative state. Right. Like, okay, I'm driving. I'm focused on like staying in this lane. Right. Okay. I'm doing these dishes or okay. I'm dusting this floor. And that's like where things, t- you know, I, I personally love those activities cause they, right. they, they're just, they, they're those space taking sort of like low grade, uh, Meditations where it's it's nothing so serious. It's yeah. like I'm just scrubbing the floor. Yeah, your mind can go to its regular activity, right? Out of panic mode or yeah. stress re- response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was um, I was talking with a, an acquaintance about yoga, and he he was of course going right to the thing about being physical practice, mm-hmm. and I said oh, I'm not really that interested. I mean, I'm interested in that, but mm-hmm. I'm more interested in the Meditation and the effects of that, mm-hmm. and he said, "Oh, I don't really know anything about that." And I said, "Well, you know, it's about." We talked a little bit, and he said, "Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess I. The only place I ever have that experience is when I go swimming. Mm-hmm. I go to this place and go swimming out by Park Slope, and I. The funniest thing, I, I will, I'll go swimming like I've just been thinking about something and been trying to figure out something. And I just give up and go swimming." And then I come out of the pool and I have an answer. <laughs> I yep. said, yes, that is what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, the, the thing I write about a little bit in the book and, and my feeling about yoga is that yoga is a technology for achieving mm. that thing, mm-hmm. right? Like every, I think every artist figures out a way to get to the muse, to, to allow the opening that lets interesting stuff come through Mm -hmm. but it's kind of random for a lot of people or they might turn to some trick to do it like you know zone themselves out Mm -hmm. or you know use substances or whatnot but you know yoga is a way of practicing stopping your regular way of thinking Mm -hmm. to allow in this other piece of us this creative piece Mm -hmm. and for me discovering yoga was such a gift in that front because then I didn't have to worry about how am I going to do this right I just trusted that that's what happens right yeah I know and I said that you know about consulting earlier today in meditation class you know it's like you walk in a room and you don't know anything about the topic before you get there and then right. the people say this is what we want you to do and you just have to know an answer mm. and again like if you meditate on a regular basis you get accustomed to just tapping this other part of yourself and you can and now you know and i found i mean it can be pretty direct like we talked we talked in class about googling right and i've always sort of like um, the internet to me is like a hard material metaphor for what in yoga we call this like a higher consciousness, yeah. unbound consciousness. Akashic records. Yeah. Where it's like all the knowing of the universe. You know, if you're not thinking about yoga, you're like, oh, I need an answer to this 
Google what is the answer to this or like we literally have it we have this like hard thing we have a hard laptop or a phone and to me it's just like a symbol for like what's already at play which is if you learn to really cultivate your meditation practice and I've done this before where I'll I'll like your friend who swims I'll go before I sit down I'm like I don't really know what to do about this I like really unclear I really need an answer and then I go and meditate and like literally like in the last minute of the meditation I'll just be like ah okay got it yeah so it's like a little bit more of a longer abstract googling right but it's that's there for us you know right and um we don't understand and i'm just waiting and i know the technology is like actually being developed for this like the Neuralink mm-hmm. that uh elon musk is behind mm-hmm. where event i mean it's not like a fantasy sci-fi scenario we're, we're moving towards the sort of technology where it's this mental sort of exchange of this reservoir that's around us that has you know it's the internet yeah (laughs) it's like the cosmic intelligence yeah internet it it requires a discernment from us like you know Mm -hmm. if we if we use meditation and go oh i have the answer Mm. you know maybe i just channeled the answer but maybe i'm also nuts right Right. so you need to use some (laughs) discernment to test what you think right in the same way with the internet mm-hmm. you know you might get something off the internet and it could be complete crap right. also so you need to use discernment right. for that and you know creating uh, discernment is another benefit of practice right. you know because you gain perspective through mm-hmm. practicing you're you're not immediately in your emotional reactions mm-hmm. you know I, I have so many acquaintances who um you know are in these camps these bias camps where they don't even hear what's being said on one side it's just immediately jumping into the other side and we're wired for that right but you can unwire yourself Mm -hmm. through a practice like meditation like yoga like art Mm -hmm. to be able to hold things that seem at odds with each other and come to an understanding of that. Right. You know, we have a rational side and we also have this other side Mm -hmm. that's more integrative. I hope you're enjoying this edition of Peter's podcast. We'll be back to the interview in a second. I wanted to invite you to become a subscriber of this podcast. By that, I mean download it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, but also support me on Patreon.com. This is a cool artist funding source where you can subscribe for any amount you want. I have a special category of subscriber at a dollar, and you can do less than that or more than that, whatever makes you feel like it's the right valuing for this information and for the effort it takes to make this podcast. I hope you'll take a look. It's at www.patreon.com slash Peter's Podcast, all one word. Thanks a lot. Here is the rest of the interview with Lindsay Sanwald, a.k.a. Iggy Dean. So I have a friend, he lives in Russia, and um, he's an artist, visual artist, really good. Um, Peter shuts off, and he... When the when the Soviet Union ended, 
everyone got their home. It was kind of an interesting thing. Like we always think about you buy a house or you mm. buy an apartment or whatever, but because of the nature of the government there, everyone just had what they had. And so mm. when the government fell apart, everybody just kept what they had. Yeah. Um, and he was an artist and had a studio. And so he has this studio and it's basically his, you know, mm. so like, unlike artists living in New York who are scrambling <laughs> to try to figure out where they're going to work and right. whatnot, he has this great space. And so he used to spend a fair amount of time going there, reading, mm-hmm. sitting, jumps up and paints, works on, you know, so there was this built into it mm-hmm. period of the just space, right? creating the space. Then the Google was like going and reading a book. Now I'm sure he uses Google, right. but, um, you know, I think that we have the ability to remember this mantra om mm-hmm. that there's a beginning of things, a sustaining period when the thing is getting made, mm-hmm. surviving, it's sustaining, and then it's ending. And that we can always bring that knowledge into our practice and sometimes into our art practice, into our everything practice, mm-hmm. so that when we're in the midst of something, like I know you just finished a big project, now mm-hmm. you're in this little lull and you're about to start a whole new thing, yeah. you know, that we can recognize those periods of time and let them be what they are. Right. You know, let the downtime be downtime. Right. You know, that's the end of something. Yeah. Right. And then the challenge of creating something new, or sometimes the excitement of creating right. something new. Right. Sometimes it's hard when you're just trying to sustain and make something happen. Yeah. And you you're know, usually, it's, it's rare that you're conscious of it in the midst of it, I find. Right. But I think that one of the benefits for me of a a yoga practice and owning the mantra Mm -hmm. right owning Mm -hmm. what does this mean through many many repetitions and thinking about it and meditating on it is that you can become conscious of what's going on right now yeah you know and sometimes i it seems to me that's something i point out to students often when they're in a uh, upset place yeah you know you knew that you were going to get to this place. Right. Now you're just in it. Yeah. So relax. And you know, you know it's going it's to start over again. Yeah. Because everything does. This will come to its conclusion. Yeah. And that will be that. Yeah. So, yeah. The space that your, your friend, that you described of your friends, actually reminds me of what I ended up cultivating in your house. Yeah. Where that was like another thing. I was just like, oh, I just need a space. Right. And then again like realizing oh yeah you can actually just like place orders to the universe (laughs) the next day you were like hey i'm going to uh were you going to finland sweden Sweden. yeah do you want to house sit for three weeks and i was just like eureka this is exactly what i want right and i remember throughout those three weeks having like a little low-grade panic like oh i'm not making the most of this i'm not doing enough i'm like reading too much i'm relaxing too much i'm I'm spending way too much time not doing the thing I intended to do. But then looking back, it was exactly what it was supposed to be, where there was just enough, like, structure and order of having to walk a dog and tend to animals that kept the day regimented. And that, you know, I wrote an entire EP while I was there. Right. But it didn't feel like it while I was there. And made a video. And made a video, which I can't wait to release. Yeah. Um, And so much happened there 
that it, and then it ended but it's it i think it was that sustaining the the ooh of the ohm yeah and i, I love about ohm or i always smile to think like ohm feels like such the obvious uh pop mantra that everybody knows and right. everybody sort of like makes fun of maybe right. in some way and like it it, it it's everything <laughs> it is yeah. like the it is in the beginning was the word Ohm is the most powerful utterance there is, and I just I love sort of the irony or the humor inherent to the fact that we can just sort of be so blasé about it, right. not realizing that what we're playing with when we talk about Ohm and dissect it is like it's 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 all it's all of it it's everything and and it's it's I love that yeah. One of the students who came to one of our first kirtans said to me afterwards, well, you know, what are, what are these sounds? I'm trying to understand, like, is this somebody's, some, some religion or something, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, it's really about the energy that created what became a religion. You know, it's mm-hmm. like this underlying, what you just said, this is the whole of it. Mm-hmm. We can make little tweaks of it by resonating sound in a different way in the beginning was the word and now there's the word that pushes it a little bit one way or the other so that you can find your ishta devata your Mm -hmm. your energy that makes you get the experience of whole you right right that lets you know how to be in the world and have not just the challenge but the perspective to have wonder on it to enjoy the show yeah as well as perform the show right <laughs> which is why i think even like a in a basic yoga class um, most people really enjoy the om and yeah. they don't know why but they have this palpable sense of it's easy to utter it's easy to perform and there's something really nice about a whole room of people just doing it yeah and there's something you definitely feel right after the fact and right uh, because it is <laughs> tuning um, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's your mother <laughs> yeah well, um, why don't we end with Om? Yeah. Okay. Just one old big good one? One old big good one. Cool. Om. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. Namaste. That's our episode for today. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash peterspodcast. There's a link in the show notes, or you can look it up online. Look forward to talking with you again. Take care.